0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Thanks for joining us. We want to be your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and success strategies. And we're going to have some great strategies and forecasts for you today. We're going to cover the ULI PwC Emerging Trends in Real Estate. Now, this is an incredible report. It comes out every year. And we have some of the experts from PwC here to go over the highlights. Please welcome Mitch Rochelle. Mitch is real estate practice leader with PwC. Mitch, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Michael. Also, please welcome Andy Warren. He's Director of Real Estate Research with PWC, Andy's also here in Studio One. That's great to be here, Michael. Thanks for joining us, guys. Is
1: there a Studio Two, by the way?
0: There's going to be. It's going to be really <laughs> huge.
1: <laughs> it, it, it only, people, it only took a minute. Uh. So,
0: for the listeners and viewers who may not be familiar with it, quickly, tell us about emerging trends
1: in real estate and how this evolved, and how, how big is this report? Uh, it's in its 38th year, which is amazing, so in two years years, we're going to have our 40th anniversary. It's going to be an enormous party for that. But there's two ways that we assemble the data that's in the roughly 90 pages of the report. We do an online survey that 1500 real estate market participants respond to. Then on top of that, we do 500 face-to-face interviews. And I say face-to-face, but in this day and age, some of them are Skyped. But uh, Mm -hmm. think about how exhausting that is. It takes place from I'd say late summer into the early fall, Uh, so we try to get as close to the production date because things do happen in one year versus another that that could happen, uh, that could change the market. But it's, you know, we've been doing it for 38 years, so maybe we're getting something right. And as you mentioned in the lead, it's a joint uh, undertaking by PwC and the Urban Land Institute. Yeah, well, it's an
0: incredible report, and uh, I know a lot of people are always looking forward to it coming out. And what is the, the mission
1: of the report, would you say? A couple of years ago when we sat down um, with the folks, our partners from ULI, uh, I made a comment, most of my comments tend to be a little provocative, Uh, I'll try to calm them down for your audience, but I said, let's try to bring the emerging trends back to emerging trends because it's called emerging trends in real estate, so we've really worked hard at over the last couple of years and I think we've been successful doing is to find trends that are truly emerging that are going to impact the real estate uh, world. So some of them are things that are happening in the real estate marketplace uh and some of them are happening outside i think the, the last one that we'll get to in the top trends deals with blockchain mm-hmm. and we'll talk about it then but blockchain isn't something that's in commercial real estate now per se but it's headed that way and yeah. we want to be the first place you heard things and yeah uh, andy and i recently went through an exercise going back about five years of things we said that you heard here first, and the best example I can give you is the term 18-hour city. Mm -hmm. Uh, A couple of years ago, I think that was emerging trends, 2015 maybe, we introduced the term 18-hour city as compared to a 24-hour city. Uh, How many Google searches exist for 18-hour city?
2: 152,000.
1: Right, so we went into Google, Uh 152,000 times people have searched 18-hour city. Andy and I like to take credit for coining the phrase, although we didn't go to the library (laughs) Congress and get permission, (laughs) Uh, but so that's exactly what it is. We we hope to be able to raise points that no one's really thought of before, and maybe that's why it's been so popular for 38 years, and we thank you for always being a platform to talk about the report.
0: Yeah, well, we you know, my audience loves it because I think it's important if you know what are the trends, what's going to happen, then you can help make better decisions, whether you run a company and you're looking at space or you're in the real estate business in some way. So let's go through some of the top 10 trends from the report. Uh, we'll have a link to the report if you want to read the entire thing. But number one is context, a kinder
1: general gentler real estate cycle. Uh, I'm gonna give you uh, a couple of sound bites and Andy could take you into hmm. the details. Um, everybody has made an auto-correct mistake on their phone. The most simple one is live and love, right? You can, boy, you put that in the wrong uh, context, mm-hmm. and uh, you can have a whole mess of problem. But right now, uh, one of the things we're observing is that the real estate market is auto-correcting. Mm-hmm. So there are forces in place that are preventing new bubbles from being inflated, whether that be in housing, whether that be in commercial real estate. If you look at the last four recessions that our US economy has been in, Two of the last four were caused by the real estate asset class, most recently housing back in the 80s. For those of you who remember the savings and loan crisis, really caused by commercial real estate and uh, mortgage lending. So the market doesn't want to let that happen again. So we're in a kinder, gentler cycle because we're auto-correcting and we're preventing the, the market from... Uh, Oh, bubbling up.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like a longer cycle, right? The good times are gonna last a little longer, so that's obviously kinder and gentler.
2: And, and people are discussing whether is this gonna stick around or is this a temporary function? Transparency in the market is much greater than it had been in the past. People have stopped building, maybe financing is getting a little tougher to get at this point, so those good times can continue to go on because we have not moved to that typical boom bust. So. As we talk to people in the market, they're thinking, why do I do differently? Are that opportunity to get outsized returns going away because there's not going to be that uh, bust that I can go in and pick up later? Is it going to be a function where I'm going to look more long-term in my investments?
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's important. I think everyone wants to know how long the good times are going to last. And this cycle is a little long in the tooth, right? So what you're saying, I guess, in trend one is that this, the good times may last a little
1: longer, but just be a little slower growth or...? We were talking in your extensive green room that's right outside there. It's lovely, by <laughs> the way. Too bad it's not on camera. Yeah. But we were talking uh, to James, your senior producer. Is that what? Uh, yes. I'm going to lobby for a promotion for you, James. But in any event, we were talking about the, this new normal. fact of the matter is 2% GDP growth mm-hmm. may just be the environment that we're in for a long time. Mm-hmm. Low interest rates may be the environment that we're in. Um, they 're obviously tied to one another, so the extension of a ninety month recovery becoming a hundred and twenty month recovery is not out of the realm of possibility mm-hmm. what 's good is no one 's throwing money at people to build real estate on spec, so we 're not creating a new asset bubble yeah. If you look at asset valuations they 're bubbly looking right because but there are there are market clearing prices the stock market is at a is at an all time high. And right now, on the ticker over my left shoulder, um, prices are clearing the market, willing buyer, willing seller. Commercial real estate, compressed cap rates, um, clearing the market. But someone's throwing equity at that um, at a level that we've never seen equity been part of the capital stack before. And that's just probably just where we are. And we're looking at the market take a pause Mm
2: -hmm. in the first half of this year going into the third quarter now. Transactions have slowed down, Mm -hmm. uh, lending's a little slower than it was, and underwriting standards are more stringent. Yeah,
0: Yeah. we certainly don't have the overbuilding that we've had in some of the past you know, cycles, cycles. for sure. Well, let's look at number two, optionality. What does that optionality. Mean? <laughs> That's
2: Optionality. That's anything you want, you
0: can get.
1: Restaurant.
2: exactly.
1: We're all old enough. Uh, it's like we just time-stamped ourselves. I know, I thought uh, I was 37. I meant, yeah.
2: Yeah. Your parents told you about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you look at uh, the evolving of space and mm-hmm. open floor plans and the technology that allows people, so you're not tied to a desk, so everybody doesn't have a desk filling up a space. So you've got this space, so now people are thinking, okay, maybe it's like factory utilization. How do I use this a little more than just eight hours Mm -hmm. when I've got this? So you're seeing, taking that open space and maybe in the evening, renting it out for receptions. If you Mm -hmm. spent all this money on this beautiful location. Or on the weekends, you have a pop-up store there. Mm -hmm. It's in a good location. So it's really a lot of choices of what you can do with your space. And people are thinking about that as they're designing new buildings, they're thinking about it as they utilize there's a lot of process of working with government agencies to get the right zoning mm-hmm. and then also from a use perspective everyone wants to be flexible as to how much space they take yeah. so you know I'm gonna add 150 workers do I just double the space I'm in now if my firm's 150 or do I just go out and find some temporary space that I can choose and use on a month? monthly basis kind yeah. of to utilize that so yeah it,
0: flexibility is
1: really flexibility key, what's it, interesting yeah. is with office space that is at capacity we went from 250 square foot per employee mm-hmm. to like one 38 or something like that, which means we're all busting out of the seams in traditional office space Which means if you want to move people around you actually have no swing Swing space, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that level of optionality where people are sort of going out and picking up short-term swing space Just so they can move the pieces of the Rubik's Cube around the other thing is where you have excess capacity in your space So just for example, you have a studio in an office space but the studio is only used when us good looking folks come in does it make sense to rent out the studio for another purpose i'm not trying to personalize this but that's what's happening people have unbelievable kitchens in their office space for when they do meetings could that kitchen be repurposed to andy's point and you can do a small reception for some organization that just needs a place Um, we often use um, the lobby space of our headquarters in 300 madison in new york city for not-for-profits that need just space for networking receptions and stuff like that, and we have mm-hmm. catering in the build in the building, and so that is a perfect example of optionality. Uh, it doesn't have to be solely the way it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we license some desks sometimes to people in our commercial real estate industry that maybe need space kind of temporarily, that that they're kind of folks that might, we might benefit them and they might benefit us. Uh, And I think it's true. I mean, you look at the space that that we were just in, the green room, it's a green room, it's a coffee shop. There's people working there, there's people eating there. Lots of flexibility going on. Well, stay tuned. We're going to have number three and number four next. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We're having fun with Mitch Rochelle and Andy Warren with PwC. We're talking about the Emerging Trends in Real Estate Report 2017, and we're at number three now, <laughs> transformation going? through location That's choice. What does that mean?
2: That's the kind of the crossroads of real estate development and community service. And a number of executives, whether it's related to the tech industry or financial industries, they want to locate somewhere where they can do good in the community. And in the report, we kind of detail two examples, Detroit and Las Vegas, where uh, executives in these companies went into more distressed areas, put their headquarters there, move people in, put new developments, and when you do that, they kind of go in initially and they have to provide all the services for their employees around there because there just isn't anything available at that time. Well, if it works, things backfill around it, and it just creates a vibrant neighborhood around that existing location. And it kind of builds on itself. The example of Detroit, more investment flowing in all the time. And I think everyone can think about their individual market and think of a development that did that on either a large scale or a small scale.
0: Yeah, I think it's also, you hear some developers come in and buy a bunch of properties in an Mm -hmm. area and
1: start really improving the area themselves, right? Yeah, well, and so some of it's led by the real estate developers. Some of it's led by the users. Mm -hmm. Um, So we actually try to coin a new phrase I talked about in the last segment, coining uh, 18 Hour City. We we all know about the three P's, public-private partnership. We try to add a fourth P and add philanthropy to it. Because in some cases, it revolves around an area that has been reclaimed and made Permanent open space. So you'll see family foundations and trusts buy some park or something like okay. that, and make that a centerpiece, and then a development ends up coming around it because the park becomes vital to uh, having a place for the community to meet and so forth. So we've seen that in the residential space, but in the commercial space, it you know whether it be downtown yeah. Las, Las Vegas mm-hmm. or downtown Detroit. Detroit downtown sort of felt like it was left for dead, and a couple of developers and people who own businesses really made a big financial commitment to rebuilding it. So um, that is uh, partially profit, but there's some philanthropy and altruism that goes on there too.
0: Okay, and we're talking about the top 10 trends from the report, Merging Trends in Real Estate from ULI and PWC, and we're now at number four, recognizing
1: the role of the small entrepreneurial developer so i'll give you a data point um there are 90 plus percent of the developers that are out there have 25 employees of 25 employees or less so, when, when I think of real estate developer, I think of really the, the, the reality is that they are these big behemoth organizations, but the fact of the matter, most of the developers are small, local players. If you look at a pie chart of the number of employees by developer, it's all over the place, right? It's, it's sort of evenly split based upon organization size, but when you think about it, um, most of them are small. So, the dynamics we're seeing in the marketplace, um, hard to get financing, um, not a lot of equity um, for projects, it's because the lion's share of the developers are small operators, which to go to my earlier point, is preventing the bubble from re- getting reinflated because there's not a lot of other people's money in there. A lot of In the past cycles when we've inflated bubbles, we've inflated them with other people's money. And here the developers have skin in the game, the lo- lending standards require them to have skin in the game. So they're developing very slowly, very cautiously, and that's why we're not creating excess supply.
0: And they understand the market,
1: right? That's, they're very local. Yeah. Yeah. To give them
0: a shout out,
2: they understand the market better and are kind of dictating what's going on. They're they're the ones that pull back first
0: when they see a market maybe getting to that edge. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a, a trend we're gonna continue seeing. Yeah. So let's get to number five, labor scarcity and construction costs. That's a big trend, isn't it? It
2: is, it is a trend. When you look at the number of jobs that we lost in the construction industry after the global financial crisis. And we've seen the real estate market come back, both commercial and residential. But the number of construction jobs added has not rebounded uh, in the same level of uh, activity. And as we talked to people, that was a number one concern was shortage of labor to be able to get projects done. And it's pushing out timelines. It's pushing up costs. And it's not just the uh, day-to-day laborer, it's uh, supervisors. A lot of those supervisors left, they've got other jobs now, they call them up and say, can you come back? And they go, I kinda like what I'm doing now, it's a little more stable, I'm not out in the hot sun. And so I think as we look going forward, we need to find a solution for this. And I will talk about in a little bit about, you know kind of one of our best bets
1: relates to construction and how to meet that need. One of the challenges, well, Andy touched on it, we've repurposed folks that are part of the uh, service chain in construction industry. They're now doing something else, and you can't, there's no way in that time frame to retrain that supervisor, and no one wants an unsupervised project. The other thing that's happening is just, it's cost, right? So, so supply and demand of talent, if the talent isn't there and you're trying to convince that person to leave their job doing something, something else, else and go back into construction, you're going to pay more. So the entire scale of construction cost has just gone up. And that's going to have an impact on real estate valuations a bit.
0: Yeah, and I guess that works back to one of your other trends that uh, maybe we'll have a longer cycle. Maybe there's less new supply, right, when the replacement
1: cost goes up. You can't build it. What's interesting is, and I know you have a lot of appraisers that are are listeners, but what's happening, which is kind of neat, um, the cost approach to value, I'm not talking about in terms of writing an appraisal, but just thinking about real estate from a cost approach. The cost approach is going up replacement cost from the labor side is considerably higher than it was in the past. Um, and simultaneously, you have prices getting uh, going up because of yield compression. So we have two forces that are independent of one another that are driving prices up. But the fact that construction costs are going up, um, and that seems to be not a cyclical thing, but a bit of a it's secular like thing, that, that has is gonna have a long-term impact on real estate. And, and just think about it, it's not just building the new building, it's also tenant improvements, right? You, you still need construction costs to build that space. So whatever we're baking into our underwriting in terms of how much TI allowance we're gonna give or whatever tenants think about about how much TI spend they're, they're gonna have, the cost may be higher because the construction costs go up. Which loops back to an earlier trend that we talked about, which is optionality. Because how else can you sort of temper some of that cost by coming up with creative ways to use the space?
0: So, how long do you think this labor issue is going to last? I mean, certainly we've had a boom in construction in some of the the major markets. Mm -hmm. uh, But is that going to level off a little bit, or how long-term do people think this uh, labor shortage and, and higher labor cost is, or are we just there now? trying to get them back, you're just going to have to pay them.
2: It's, it's And Mitch and I have this conversation all the time. It's not so much... Well, our people. conversations <laughs> are fascinating. <laughs> fascinating. This is what <laughs> we're, <laughs> talking uh, we're talking about. We're talking about, it's not so much the lack of people. The labor force is shrinking or it's not shrinking, but it's growing more slowly than it has before. So labor force participation is down. It's skills mismatch. Yeah. You, we've got to convince people that they want to work in construction and train them to be able to do it. So it' a little bit more than a secular, maybe it's not a full-on secular trend, but it's definitely a longer than a
1: typical this cycle. Yeah, I, I totally agree with it. I, we're in a very strange place. We have, um, if you look at the, labor force, the participates going, rate is going down, but while that's happening, we also have more people leaving the workforce through retirement than we have new entrants into the workforce. So we're actually shrinking the size of the US workforce and we're not teaching kids in school the skills that they need to be in something like construction. Uh, and we have de- basically outsourced that labor elsewhere in many respects, which may or may not continue to be the trend. I, I'll, my bet is that uh, a smaller construction workforce is a secular trend in our country.
0: Is, are, is somebody trying to fix it when you're talking to the folks? It's, I, I, think staying it's, out of politics, yeah. all right? I know where you're headed, <laughs> Mr. Bull, okay? But forget
1: about immigration policy and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I think we have to fix something in the educational system in okay. our country where right. we actually teach those skills in schools.
0: All right, stay with us. We're going to have a big one. Affordability is next. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show, where we're dancing in the studio. (laughs) We have Mitch Rochelle here and Andy Warren. They're both with PWC. We're talking about the Emerging Trends in Real Estate report that's out. We're talking about the top trends. We're now at number six, which sounds like a big one, guys. Housing
1: affordability. For the record, we were not dancing in the studio. Uh, I just want to be clear about that. So let's let's talk about uppercase A and lowercase A. So uppercase A is affordable housing when you think about something that the government plays a role in. Uh, The lowercase A is the market dynamic that's going on right now, which is prices of housing continue to rise because of supply and demand. Uh, We are creating demand for housing. With household formations, and you may like this. Uh, statistically, a household formation is when children move out of their parents' house. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I knew he'd smile. I just knew he would smile. You too. You're another I one, remember, right? I'm. I got 16-year-olds. Right, They're not, not going anywhere. But uh, so that's when a household is formed, and we have we are creating more households, meaning kids moving out of their parents' house. Then we're creating new supply of multifamily rentals as well as single-family homes or rentals. So the fact of the matter is, prices are going up just simply because of supply and demand. We're at the lowest level of new supply in the market than we've really had in modern U.S. history at less than five months' supply. That's both new homes and existing homes. So we're just driving the prices up. And it's a dy- dynamic that needs a solution because we have this excess demand for real estate. So.
0: Because of that lower volume uh, hurts the, with the recovery.
1: It hurts with spending, right? It does. It's not driving a big piece of our GDP had been the housing market in the past. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: anything else on affordability no i'm about, trying
1: i said i'd do these in two minutes or less michael i'm trying to be true to my time all right
0: well here's a big one gaining entry beyond the velvet rope yeah, number let, seven let me
1: be honest i don't know what the heck that <laughs> is so really it's uh, it's about the nimby uh, dynamic nimby meaning not in my backyard and mm-hmm. i okay and in the past if there was something new that was planned a development that you didn't want the neighborhood would be up in arms. The only voice that those neighborhood participants had was going to a town planning meeting and yelling and screaming about it, maybe handing out flyers. Uh, Maybe they got on the air if they were protesting outside of something. Now enter social media. I have nine social media apps on my telephone. (laughs) Maybe I'm a narcissist and that's why, but I have nine social media apps. So all of that social media is absolutely free and it gives the NIMBY movement a, a, a voice and allowed one. And I think that's changed the dynamic of the way developers and the community interact with one another around change. So that's the, that's the and it also could be a commercial component to it. There could be a business that doesn't want um, another business entering the community because it may steal workers or so forth. We now have a new dynamic around change in a community that social media is creating a voice to and it's creating more attention to be focused on something like that. So uh, that's what um, gaining access behind the velvet rope means. And it it, it really ties
2: into the previous affordability. It's an issue where we need maybe more density, but it's tougher to get it done. So the two kind of go hand in hand.
0: Right. All right, let's go to number eight, the connectedness of cities. So what do you mean by that?
2: This is an ongoing trend with the development and implementation of technology into the workplace. And as we look at the cities that are doing well, we're beginning to see that they're connected. And a lot of that is tied to the infrastructure that allows high-speed internet access. Companies have the ability to go in and do more, push more through the pipe and different industries can do that, and the cities that are positioning themselves with that technology and the ability to access it and allow The companies to use it are doing better and there's no question about it and if we continue down this path of service and high-tech employment growth driving our economy that's going to become more and more important it's also expensive it's not easy to fix because it's a public private partnership to get that infrastructure put in place so it takes some planning takes some um, strategy to get that implemented
0: yeah, so they're attracting more businesses. They're okay. cities. They're attracting more development. I know we do office tenant rep for tenants, and you know that's a big item on our right. list. Is you know we want to have double or triple what they say exactly. they need, right?
1: Right. But so, but some of that is, what's the wiring inside the building? Okay, okay. and that's going to dictate um, whether or not they're interested. But a lot of it's how big is the pipe that's coming to the building, right? So in this neighborhood in Atlanta, what is the bandwidth relative to another neighborhood in Atlanta and that may dictate where people want to gravitate their businesses One interesting thing about connectedness of cities is the biggest threat to technology-based companies is their ability to have uh, a continuous supply of access to the pipe Also a continuous supply of electricity. Mm -hmm. So there's an interconnectivity between electrical, sustainable electrical power, as well as um, sustainable bandwidth.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned technology companies, but today- Everyone is a technology company. It seems that with the bandwidth that we need, with everything uh, being connected on the internet of things. right? I was able to yep.
1: Facebook Live earlier, so I know the bandwidth here is good. <laughs> yes <laughs> that's important to me, Michael. Yes, and I know Well, we have, what, 18 uh, social media apps <laughs> right on our phone, now, right? Only nine, and I may dump Tumblr, because I'm really not using it. So. <laughs> and and there's you're... no maybe about the narcissist. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All right, stay tuned.
0: We'll have more trends from emerging trends in real estate, this is the commercial real estate show are you looking to buy sell or lease commercial real estate you're invited to contact bull realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com commercial real estate owners defer thousands sometimes hundreds of thousands of tax dollars through cost segregation i recommend ernst and morris Call one 800 cost or visit costseg.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We have Mitch Rochelle here and Andy Warren. They're both with PwC. We're here in Studio One. We're going over the top ten trends from their report, Emerging Trends in Real Estate, that PwC does each year with ULI. We are down to number nine, Ready for Augmented Reality.
2: At augmented Reality. Everybody, everybody knows Pokemon. Which kind of started this, but the real estate industry was actually probably doing it first. But just envision if you were watching this program, it would be like we were right there. You put the put the goggles on now and we would get scary. Up right <laughs> in front of you. And in fact And as the technology gets implemented into video games, then it's easier to spread it around. So you would literally be able to look at a space, move furniture around, look at different access points, where the restrooms want to be. And you could do this from anywhere in the world. And it's being used more now on the residential side, but we've been talking to people that are starting to implement it into their commercial uh, brokerage side as they're looking at it. And then you add in the design component where you could sit down even before the building's built and virtually see it before it actually comes in. Walk
1: through it even. Do a walkthrough before the building's even under construction. And this is the next generation of what you used to have when, when you'd create some overlays and you could synthesize what space looks like. Mm -hmm. Now you're literally wearing these glasses. Glasses. You have a phone that you can slip your own phone into the glasses and you walk around and as you're moving through space, you're actually seeing the places that would be there. So you literally could put, and James told the story before in the green room, you could put abandoned field that would have a warehouse in it Mm -hmm. and you could, have a CAD design of the warehouse and you can actually feel like you're walking through the actual warehouse.
0: Yeah, it's great technology. And we'll put a link to a show that we did on some of this technology so you can check it out. Well,
1: let's go to number 10, blockchain for the 21st century real estate. So what blockchain is, is a distributed ledger. And I guess it's the only accountant in the room I get to use the word ledger (laughs) in a sentence. Um, Think about the old analog functions like checking title in the old days in real estate where you had to go into the Hall of Records and open up a file cabinet and see if title transferred. Um, what if all parties to that transaction were part of this closed or public distributed ledger? So at the time of a closing, um, everybody's part of that transaction sort of signs off, if you will, in this shared ledger and you don't no longer have the need to have people go checking title because all of that is made public. Uh, there's two kinds of ledger in blockchain. One is an open ledger and one is a closed ledger. So, if you and I want to ch- transact something, we could transact and use Bitcoin as an example of currency, trading back and forth, uh, and we could do that in our own uh, closed ledger. But The application in real estate, which will likely be the way title transfers and the way closings take place in the future, would all be in an open public distributed ledger. Um, This falls in that category of things you heard here first. Uh, (laughs) we, We truly believe that blockchain technology, and you look at the billions of dollars that are being spent publicly and privately. And when I say public, I mean by companies versus just sort of just venture capital on blockchain technology. It probably is the future of the way securities get traded, Uh, in private markets, the way securities get traded in public markets, perhaps, and the way real estate will trade hands in the future. So you heard it here first. You heard it here. You'll be doing a show one down
0: blockchain. Blockchain. I promise you that. That's right. All right. Now we're going to get to some of the fun part. We're going to talk about some...
1: Wait, that wasn't uh, fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get some best bets. Before we do that, we're going to talk about the top 10 cities uh, that hold the most promise moving forward.
1: So who made the I'm going to run through the top 10, uh, and this is early in the Starting with one? Starting with one. <laughs> I can do it backwards. Letterman style. Do uh, style I'm going to do Letterman style. Number okay. 10 is San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number 9, Charlotte. Number 8, the OC, Orange County. 7, Raleigh-Durham. 6, Nashville. 5, Los Angeles. 4, Seattle. Uh, its neighbor, Portland, number 3. Dallas-Fort Worth is number 2. And drumroll: drum roll. Drum roll. Austin, Texas, number 1. Austin, Texas. Uh, a little nugget on Austin. Uh, several years ago, Austin made it to the top 10 and we had debate behind the scenes when we were pulling this thing together whether or not that was an aberration. Okay, and that was maybe seven, six, seven years, years ago, ago, Andy. Right, not only is it has been in the 10 consistently, it's been as high as two, it's never been number one. Okay, so that's really sort and, of an And issue. what
0: are the things that your respondents tell you that, that make these top cities? What attracts them to, to Yeah, so them?
1: let me explain the process there, and Andy, who actually writes the chapter in the book on markets, I'll shut up and let him talk, because he knows a lot more than I do. Um, it's a bit of a popularity contest, truth mm-hmm. be told. So it's not data dependent. So we don't uh, have an algorithm and we take a bunch of data and figure out who's one and who's 75. Uh, what we do is we ask the participants, the 1,500 of them who responded to the survey, what city do you think is number one for investment, for development, for home building? Oh, okay. And we take their sc- score across those three attributes and we make a composite of it, and that's what creates the 1 to 75 ranking. So there is a lot of human in- interaction. Uh, Atlanta was in the top 10 last year it's not in the top 10 and it just means that less people voted for Atlanta and ranked Atlanta lower than they did last year um, so it's but well, one of the things we do do which is going to be the segue to Andy we look at the data behind it and we try to make sense of why Austin numbers is number one and it turns out without fail every year that there is a correlation between data and uh, the rankings right.
2: And Austin is number one because it didn't have a drop off during the global financial crisis. It's just been growing, and it's growing for all the right reasons. I can't think of another market in the country that has better PR than Austin, Texas. Yeah.
1: They have an entire party to yeah. celebrate it. Everybody, everybody. South everybody knows it. You've Austin got is weird. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. Keep Austin weird. Keep Austin weird. Keep Austin weird,
2: And in fact, now we're starting to hear about other cities that people are saying, well, we're like Austin, or if. Austin and San Diego had a baby, it would be our state. <laughs> right. So, so but, it's but really... But Nashville, strong. Andy, is yeah. another version another of version Austin. Another version of that, right? And, and as we talk to people, to get back to your point about what we're hearing and matching up is, and Mitch's point about popularity contests, people hear about Austin, they like it, so they think this would be good. Now, we might get a little different result and said, do you think you could invest in Austin because of the size of the market? It might be a little different. But people do see the, the perspective of comparing that market to the others.
0: All right. We'll take a short break and we'll have best bets for you next. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. What are you doing October 24th and 25th? Well, come see us at CCIM Thrive, the National CCIM Event of the Year. Covering hot topics like crowdfunding and big data, this is the one industry event you cannot miss. Visit CREshow.com and look for CCIM Thrive. Welcome back. I'm Michael Boyle. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We're covering the top trends in real estate, the uh, merging trends with PwC and ULI and their report. Now, what we've been waiting for, the expected best bets, Mitch Rochelle and Andy Warren are going to share with us. So, number one, be a problem solver in the middle of the capital stack.
1: That's the biggest uh, depravity of capital, typically, is somewhere in the middle of the capital stack. There's equity, there's a first mortgage loan, but... Right below the first mortgage loan, the Mes piece is where there's still uh, sort of a short supply of that kind of capital. That's one of the things that's holding back some development. So one of the best bets is if there's demand for something, you may get the pricing you like. So we're suggesting take a look at the middle of the capital stack from a lending perspective.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good tip. Uh, Let's look at number two. Take advantage of changes in construction technology.
2: And this kind of gets back to our discussion about how do we fix that shortage of construction labor. And we're about more prefab construction, uh, specifically in medical office. medical facilities you can prefab some of those walls bring them in and it helps it allows workers to work longer so we see fewer of those people retiring earlier they stay on the job so any opportunity to kind of tap into that help maybe cut some of those costs down in construction yeah
0: yeah it sounds like you're you're finding problems so that means there's opportunities right and right. you have the new BIM or I guess it's not that new but the BIM technology and construction that can really alleviate yeah. some of the some of the cost, cost- if you invest in it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll put a link to that show too we did a show I'm, I'm helping you right? Right. There really there interesting go, yeah. that's right <laughs> so, so, selling your show there you go all right so <laughs> last number mile. number
1: three yeah. securing the last mile advantage in the era of e-commerce so, you know the bottom line is you buy something you want it immediately if you go to a store you can accomplish that if you are buying it online you have to wait you know there's two day there's next day but how do you figure out how to get those goods closer to where the people live there's a role for real estate the interesting thing is that may not be your traditional warehouse so you could have um, vacant retail space in a strip center that probably was built at the wrong time take some of the retail space and just make it the distribution hub for um, online purchases. There's excess capacity in some office buildings and CBDs where there's basement space that used to be old filing cabinets. That gets repurposed because the elevators are there. It gets repurposed in where the flat screens are going to be and the the game consoles are going to be that are hot Christmas purchase items. So the, the play is to figure out where there's space capacity and where it could help fulfill the last mile of delivery because when people buy it, they want it immediately.
0: I think that is huge. I think that's a big opportunity for for a lot of people. And so let's look at number four. It doesn't sound like it's that new, but I guess it's not new. These are just the important trends, right? Right. Uh, Figuring out the next adjacencies in passive growth. And I'll tell you what's new about it. It
2: isn't brand new, but what people are seeing with the advent of technology, particularly ride sharing, is from an apartment perspective, say you can't afford to live in the hot neighborhood, but you can afford to live in the neighborhood over. And with the advent of ride sharing for a $5 ride, I can go over and enjoy the amenities over there and be back, not have to worry about transportation. So that was kind of the new as people looked for the next best bet. They were thinking, okay, I want to be close to that and that's how I want to tap into it.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it all, everything kind of bumps back to technology. It seems like yeah. there's a lot of and, changes.
1: And, and, and apps in particular.
0: And on your phone, just a bunch of those, right. those so apps. So when I get
1: rid of one of those social media apps, I'm going to put in another ride share. share in call. Call. I'm not a big ride share. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mitch, Andy, thanks for joining us in studio.
0: one. We appreciate you being here. Thanks, Michael. Right. You're welcome. And that's a genuine thank you. Appreciate you guys. <laughs> yeah, that, sincere. that was sincere. So was mean other guests, yeah. when you thank them, you're not sincere. All right. <laughs> what a great show. We'll have a link to the actual report uh, in the link. Just go to commercialrealestateshow.com if you had to be driving down the street hearing the show on one of the radio stations. We'll also tweet it out, put it on our Facebook and LinkedIn pages, so be sure to catch it. And be sure to catch us next week. we have a show on industrial real estate, investments, users. Talk about the last mile. Well, we'll talk about it some more next week, so be sure and join us. And thank you for joining us on the radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, wherever you're watching or listening. We appreciate you being with us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Ernst & Morris, the leader in cost segregation. Excelligent building data everywhere. Apto, your entire brokerage in the cloud. And GetValuate, online investment analysis. The best thank you, a referral to our sponsors. You can find them at CREshow.com.